0: New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus.
1: All right, good morning. Would you stand for the reading of the word, please? This comes from John 15, 1 through 8. I am the vine, and you are the branches. If a man remains in me, and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, and my word remains in you, ask whatever you may wish. And it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that we get the joy of being your church. God, that you called us together. Um, God, you didn't just call us together, but to yourself. God, that we might become like you. And so, God, we pray that this morning, you just take us deeper on the journey of becoming like you. God, our hearts are open to you. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would speak to us. Come, Holy Spirit, work among us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Come on, all God's people said, Well, you can have a seat. Uh, Welcome back to church. How is everyone? Good, all right. Uh, Who who got a little vacation, maybe after Christmas? Let's see those hands, okay, I see you. Where are my retail people who did not get a vacation? We're, we're grateful for you. Who works in coffee shops, things like that? Let's see those hands. Come on. We're grateful for you. Uh, anybody working in the medical industry? We're grateful for you. Um, but in, in my family, usually after Christmas, it's a crazy lead up uh, to the holidays. And so we usually take a vacation. And it was so good. Y'all, there's times. I just want to encourage you. Have times in your year where you rest because there are spaces in your life where you will not hear the voice of God if you don't pause and rest and listen. And so what we always try to do at the beginning of the year, everybody has New Year's resolutions, right? Unless you gave up on it because 97% of them statistically fail by the end of the month of January. Um, But we all have things, ways that we want to get better, ways that we want to grow. And so every year at this time of year, I always teach on spiritual formation and disciplines because it's the time we're all trying to put things back together. In our family, listen, when it's vacation time, I'm not waking up at 4 a.m. I'm just telling you, Bronson's sleeping in until the kids wake up, okay? I'm enjoying, I am resting. But when you come out of that, who knows, it hurts the first time the alarm clock goes off at 4.50 in the morning, and you snooze it for an hour, all right? And then you get up and you get some prayers in, and then eventually you settle back into some habits, amen? And so what we're going to try to do this, this morning is I'm going to try to build a case for a biblical vision of discipleship. And I'm gonna to try to give you some resources and some tools and things that you can add to your tool belt uh, as you go into this year, amen? Uh, so we're doing this series, it's called Rooted. We're gonna talk about being rooted to Christ, rooting to each other in relationships, and then rooted in the church. So I'm gonna speak this weekend. Next weekend, you have a treat all right? Rebecca Shatswell, one of the best Bible teachers I know, is coming in. She's going to be teaching. You're going to want to bring a friend. You're going to want to be here. I've heard this message before. It is incredible, and so just plan to be here next week, and if you hate this message, don't worry. Next weekend will be better, okay? And then the following week, uh, we have Life Group launch. I just want to encourage you guys. Root in plug in. I'm telling you, you're going to grow. It's going to help you. So uh, basic thesis, what what I'm going to try to argue this morning is that if you're going to grow spiritually, this is the most obvious statement in the world. You ready? If you're going to grow spiritually, you have to stay connected or rooted to Jesus every day. Amen? Okay, here's the question I hope you're asking. I hope you're, you're, you're saying that sounds really good, but I have no idea how to do that. That sounds really good. Staying rooted to Jesus every day. I know the Bible says, like, pray without ceasing, all these different things, but how do I actually do it? Anybody asking those questions, okay? That's the question I'm asking all the time. This is what I'm going to try to answer today, and so I'm going to try to build a case towards that. Um, recommended resource. This is a book I've recommended many times. If you're looking for a book, I'm going to give so many recommendations this morning, but one is Invitation to a Journey, Robert Mulholland incredible, incredible book. So if you're looking for reading, write that down, and uh, it's going to bless you. Okay, so we had Christmas Mall in December. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, we got to serve 260 different, Oh, I don't know how many families it was. It was 260 different kids, right? And I think we had 80 to 100 volunteers come out and help. We were so proud of you guys. Uh, at the end of that, we got robbed. Uh, <laughs> As as happens, you know, sometimes downtown, I don't want you to be fearful to come to church, but this is number three. And so it wasn't like at gunpoint or anything like that. Here's what happened. Uh, we, we had somebody who'd been around the church. They were disgruntled. Uh, we didn't give them what they wanted, so they walked into the office and stole Callie's purse. And so that was great right before the holidays had to replace, you know, all of her cards and go through all that stuff, get her a new ID, which is just wonderful. It's great to refresh the photo, you know, it was a blessing. And so I had the task of getting all her cards redone. And so I went to the bank and Callie always gets like goofy, you know, debit cards, right? She gets like leopard print or whatever. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to get her a University of Central Arkansas card. It's purple. It's where she went to school. It's kind of funny, whatever. So I got got her the card. That's where Callie graduated from. And I did not realize how angry she was going to be with me about this card. She was like, do you know how much small talk you just signed me up for? Like every time I check out, like every place I go, people are going to talk. Oh, you went to UC? I went there too. It's like, yeah, that's great. I'm just trying to get eggs and milk and, you know, whatever. And so a week later, she's at Trader Joe's, all right? And she's wearing a, a sweatshirt that says Oxford on it. Uh, Now, we visited England in April. We got to go do some study. And the highlight of the trip is we got to go to Oxford. Uh, I got to, we we got to learn from N.T. Wright. It was amazing. So we bought the sweatshirt, all right? We bought, we both got Oxford sweatshirts. We're we're adorable, okay? And so she's wearing this sweatshirt and the cashier goes, oh my gosh, did you go to Oxford? And she had to be like, well, like I visited, you know, like I, I I didn't go to school there or whatever. And the person's like, oh, and from her telling of it, it's like pretty awkward, oh, and like finishes checking out. And then Callie <laughs> has to reach into her purse and get her University of Central Arkansas debit card out, which is a great school. It's not Oxford, you know? Um, it's like sitcom-level irony. All this happened within like a couple of days of her just like reaming me <laughs> about this card, which brought some humor to it, amen? Uh, but, but here's the reality. We all face situations like this, don't we? It's one of the great things about human, being humans. We make assumptions about the things that we see, right? We have the power of deductive reasoning and observation, and we've all had times when we feel like we've been exposed by these powers, right? Like we couldn't perform the way that we hoped to in a job, or maybe we claimed to be something, but we weren't actually that thing. Uh, When I was in high school, I went through recovery, and everybody I played soccer with went through the Olympic development program. And so me, as a young liar, and unredeemed heart, told people that I too went through the Olympic development program. Then I went out and played soccer after the first time like a year, and one of the guys was like, Olympic development program, my, I'll let you fill in the blank. (laughs) All right, we all have these moments where we purport ourselves to be something and we're not quite that. I wonder if anyone has ever felt that way in their faith. Like you're not who you hope to be. You're not where you hope to be. Like you're a Christian, but you're not growing. You believe in Christ, but you're not changing. You want to be like Christ, but you find yourself so unlike him. And maybe you have 20 years of experience under the banner of Christian But as my pastor, Pastor Rick, always says, you've lived the same 20 years over and over and over again, like the Israelites just taking the same old lap through the desert. Here's the truth. Many of us are disappointed by the life we found in Jesus. Let's be honest. Dallas Willard says it this way. He says, there's a great deal of disappointment expressed today about the character and the effects of Christian people, about Christian institutions, and at least by implication, about the Christian faith and understanding of reality. Most of the disappointment from Christians themselves, most of the disappointment comes from Christians themselves who find that what they profess just isn't working. Not for themselves, nor, so far as they can see, those around them. The question we have to ask is why? Why isn't it working? I believe it's because we've bought the proverbial T-shirt, but we never enrolled in class. We have the title, but we're untrained. Here's the incredible invitation of Jesus. We get to enter into training with him. And here's what our text tells us today. We can put roots down deep in him and we can grow. Remember, the call of Jesus is the call to follow, not merely believe. Last night I was watching a guy teach on discipleship and um, he, he's nearly a master in first century thought, in culture in the ancient world, and it led me to a book called "Education in the Ancient Near World" or in the, in the ancient world, as most of us read on Saturday nights, right? Uh, by William Barclay, and it was fascinating. Um, for the Jewish people, education was their method of discipleship. Okay, and they entered their children into these discipleship programs at six years old. Now, the Talmud, this is a, a Jewish text, it says, "Before the age of six, do not accept pupils." But from that age, you can accept them and stuff them with Torah like an ox. I love this. Now, what is the Torah, okay? The Torah is the first five books of the Bible. So from age six to age 10, Jewish children would memorize the first five books of the Bible. Now, it, it, before you start feeling like that's crazy, how many episodes of Bluey does your six-year-old have memorized, okay? Okay. Education was one of the most important things to the Jewish people. William Barclay said in his book that they would cancel synagogue before they would cancel school for the children. Jewish people viewed their highest calling as the education of the generation that's coming after them because they believed if they did not get their faith and their children, their faith would die within a generation. So by 10 years old, all Jewish children, would memorize the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. The best students would then be invited to continue on, and by age 14, they would have the entire Old Testament from Judges to Malachi memorized. Now, I heard a story of somebody who went and studied with Jewish people up around New York. There's huge communities there. He said 97%, actually, no, he said he was the only person in the class who didn't have the Old Testament memorized. It's a Christian who went to study with them. Then, from this phase, the best of the best of the best would be invited into something called Bet Midrash, okay? Now, this is like the Oxford of the ancient world. This is the Ivy League, okay? This is the Harvard of the Jewish community. And what what would happen is there would be rabbis who walked around. They had teachings or yokes. Everyone say yoke. So what this was, was their interpretation of the Torah and how this played out within the life of a person. And what they would do is they would go through the best of the best of the best students, and they would look for a student they thought could learn their yoke, live their yoke, and then carry their yoke on. Now remember, what did Christ say about his yoke? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That was his teaching. This was his interpretation of the Torah that he was teaching to his young disciples. Now, these young people, would leave everything behind them. They would leave their families. They would leave the occupation of their families. And they would be studying to become rabbis. Now, what these rabbis would do is they would ask them a series of questions. They would begin to learn from 10 to 13 uh, the, the Jewish way, the Jewish art of asking questions. Now, Jesus asked a lot of questions. Why? Because he was a rabbi who was training disciples, right? So they would ask questions, and what they would do as, as you're going into these examinations to find out if you can become a part of the Bet Midrash program is he would quote a Bible verse. Now, he wouldn't want you to engage with that Bible verse. He would want you to be able to locate from memory where that verse was in the Bible and to quote another Bible verse that came before or after it. After you quoted that, then he would quote another Bible verse that referenced that verse that would be not there, but it would be before or after. And it would be this continuation of questions and questions and questions and questions. Why? Because the ability to ask a question in response to a question shows mastery of a subject. Let me give you an example. So if I asked you what's two plus two, you would say four, right? But mastery would say, I'd say what's two plus two, and you'd say 16 divided by four. What is 16 divided by four, right? That that, that would be the question that you ask. And so you're not just engaging with what's there. You're showing a much deeper understanding. So these children at age 14 would begin to walk and follow their rabbis. And what the people of the community would say, may you be covered with the dust of your rabbi. May you follow him so closely. Listen, when rabbi went to bathroom, this is making this up, the disciples would follow the rabbi to the bathroom. And when he came out, they would say, praise God that he's given us holes in our bodies, okay? This is the intensity. This is the level that they would follow after their rabbis. This was the deepest honor within a Jewish community. Now, if you didn't pass the questioning, what the rabbi would say to you is, go home. You don't have what it takes. Learn the trade. Of your father, right? Okay, let's just think for a moment before we dig into the text. Where did Jesus find his disciples? Do you remember what Simon Peter was doing with his brother? He was learning the trade of his father because he didn't have what it took to follow a rabbi. After Simon Peter and his brother were called, then John and his brother were called And they were with their father, Zebedee. Now, I want you to imagine for a moment when Zebedee goes home to his wife and she says, where are the boys? And he says, the boys are not with me. She says, what do you mean the boys aren't with me? He would have said, a rabbi said, come and follow me. A rabbi believed our boys were good enough and invited us to follow. So when you see these texts where the disciples quickly leave their nets, there's no greater honor than to follow after a rabbi. Can you imagine how these parents walked with pride among the community? Here's what it tells us. Jesus believes we have what it takes to follow after him. Now, here's what happens. Once we enter into school, (laughs) then the pain comes, right? First, it's encouragement. He believes in us. But then next, there's a cost. Because anytime you want to grow, growth requires change. And change is painful. (laughs) Amen? one. If we want to follow after Jesus the rabbi, we must be willing to be cut to learn from him. He said, I am the true vine, the father is the gardener, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he what? He prunes. In the Greek, this means to cut away, but even deeper, it means to clean. So that will be even more fruitful. Listen, you are already clean because the word I've spoken to you now remain in me as I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Here's the reality. If we're going to walk with Jesus, it's not simply a belief, but it's entering into school with him as the teacher, with him as the rabbi, with him as the master. And school is painful. <laughs> Amen. Anybody who who school wasn't painful for, the rest of us hate you. All right, for the rest of us, school is painful, right? A, A life of discipleship with Jesus begins with relief because he chose us, right? He believes we have what it takes. It's the peace of his acceptance and love, the joy of a life of purpose, the hope of a future guaranteed in him. But at some point, and this is where many of us walk away, What I want to try to argue and convince you of is not to walk away. Many of us walk away when the pain comes. The pain of having to ask others, not just to receive their forgiveness, but to ask them to forgive you. The pain of letting someone you hate have peace with you. For them, the pain of watching a teacher get crucified And eventually, the pain of being crucified themselves like their teacher. But for most of us, as modern people, the pain is actually the pain of change. Max Licato says this in a book called, uh, it's not Jesus like Jesus. (laughs) It's called Just Like Jesus. I don't think they have it up there anyway. (laughs) that for next service okay (laughs) here's the reality God loves you right where you're at he called you when everyone said you were unqualified but he refuses to leave you that way he wants you to become just like Jesus what will it cost you it will cost you your vices the secret things that you do that are actually killing you, but for some reason you double down and you do everything you can do to protect those things. It'll cost you your pride, humbly serving others and forgetting about yourself. It'll cost you your selfish ambition, saying no to what you want so that you can say yes to what God wants. And God will invite you from vice to victory over sin. He'll invite you from pride into a life of gracious and beautiful humility. And he'll invite you from a life of selfish ambition to a life of godly aspiration, which is a commitment not to building all you can for yourself, but to becoming all that God made you to be. And this requires pruning, right? So interesting that he uses the vine analogy. You know what happens when you don't prune a grapevine? The vine grows into itself. And it gets so tangled and so jumbled that it actually crowds itself out from receiving light. Now, what does the light do for the vine? It causes it to produce healthy grapes. If you, don't produce, if you don't prune a vine, it will produce many small and emaciated grapes. There will be activity, there will be fruit, but it's not the fruit that any gardener is aiming for. No gardeners like, I want tiny, bitter, shriveled grapes. Right? That's just not what they're after. The grapes of an unpruned vine are useless and they are emaciated. And so the life of an unpruned believer is fruitless and emaciated. The gardener wants fewer but bigger and richer, healthy grapes. And this is what God intends for us. Christ, it says, is the vine. God is the gardener that prunes. The vine gives life, and the gardener ensures it stays healthy. So here's the million-dollar question. How do we stay close enough to hear from God and to know where he's cutting? We have to stay connected with him through consistent spiritual practices that bring about healthy spiritual formation. What are these practices? Rhythms of prayer daily, of corporate worship, what we're doing right now, confession of sin, rest and enjoyment celebration, giving, being generous, Bible study, and the hardest one for me, by far, (laughs) is retreating and having solitude with God. Let's continue on, point two. We must stay connected to Jesus if we're gonna grow spiritually. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, this is a a rich and layered analogy, okay? So in the ancient world and in ancient uh, Israel in particular, the vine would have been the nation of Israel. Here's what N.T. Wright says. The vineyard of Israel, said Isaiah in chapter five, this is Isaiah five, has borne wild grapes instead of proper ones. Other prophets use the same picture. Now Jesus is saying that he is the true vine, he's the true Israel. This can only mean that he is in himself the true Israel. He's the one on whom God's purposes are now resting and his followers are members of God's true people. If they belong to him and remain in him, this picture of the vine isn't a clever illustration from gardening. It's about who Jesus and his people really are And what is now going to happen as a result? Here's what this is saying. Here's what I want you to hear. What what Chris was singing, Paul was singing earlier, the worship team was singing. What, What were we singing? I am who you say I am, right? If you said it, I believe it. Here's what Christ is saying, that you are a child, a son, a daughter, who's loved by God, who's seen by God, who's known by God right where you're at. And Christ is inviting you into the process of discipleship. He's inviting you into a life of maturity. Now all of us have seasons of immaturity, all right? You did not want to be around me when I was in high school, okay? I was a nightmare, I was a terror. Senior year of high school, second semester, I had one class. So I just roamed the halls, disturbing classes. I tried to run down one of my teachers with my my car. Uh, (laughs) I stole the the owls off, I didn't have anything to do, and I was immature, I stole the owls off the roof, okay? Here's the reality. When when you're immature, you don't know where to set boundaries. You don't know where to seek counsel. You don't know how to make wise choices. And you don't have steady responsibility in your life. But mature people, they have good sources and healthy places to go to get what they need. So here's the question. What is your primary source? What is your vine? And what are you most connected to? Could you guys hold up your vines for me real quick? Go ahead. You know what they are. Your cell phones, right? Your cell phone. The thing we are most... I didn't have mine with me. I went to reach in my pocket. I didn't have it. That would have helped the illustration. Next time. Listen, the number one thing that we are connected to lives in our pockets. It's the first thing we grab when we wake up, right? It is the destroyer of all quiet times. It's the destroyer of all conversations. It's our cell phones. Listen, y'all, this is a constant battle for me. Here's the reality. You can get really strong in something, and then you can backslide, amen? And so every year at this time, I am in a mental battle with my phone, but here's the reality. Modern discipleship requires the replacement of modern devices with ancient practices, if we want to grow as modern disciples, we have to replace modern distractions with ancient practices. Robert, Robertson Meyer said this, he said, if you grow dependent on your smartphone, it becomes a magical device that silently shouts your name at your brain at all times. Sean Parker said this, he worked for Facebook, he said, God only knows what it's doing to our children's brain." The thought process that went into building these applications, Facebook being the first of them, was all about how do we consume as much of your time and conscious attention as possible. That means that we need to give you a little dopamine hit every once in a while because someone liked or commented on a photo or post or whatever, and that's going to get you to contribute more content, and that's going to get you more likes and more comments It's a social validation feedback loop. Exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in human psychology. If we're going to become deep people who follow after Jesus, the first thing we have to do is to get control of our devices. Now, I have a fairly extreme method that I do um, that I'm going to submit to you. And listen, I find, I find other things to do on my phone, so this doesn't work. But it's not bulletproof, all right? But I give myself 30 minutes a day of social media time. Do you know how quickly 30 minutes a day goes? <laughs> so when I'm on social, I have to be like, yo, I'm closing the app out. Like As soon as I'm done, I'm like, I don't want any like background minutes. I get 30 minutes a day. And the way that I do it is you have something within your phone called screen time. You can go into screen time. You can set app limits, uh, and you can limit how much time. Now, two people have the password to this: Nathan Prezaniak, who's back there on the video. Everybody say hi Nate. hi, Nate, and Callie right here. And every once in a while, like if I'm working on something for church or whatever, I'll be like, "Can I get a few more minutes? G- give me a few. Give me a few more minutes here." All right? I love telling people they're like, "Hey, they send me something. Like I'm out a minute, so I can't see it." <laughs> Yo, know, there's so many different things that we can do. Um, but, but what I would submit to you, the easiest place to start is in your mornings. I want to get really practical. Uh, in your mornings, what's the first thing you do when you wake up? You grab your phone, right? And you start either looking at social or answering text messages or doing whatever. And I'm telling y'all, if you sit there, especially if you don't have app limits, <laughs> your morning's gone, all right? And then you're late and you're running to the next thing. And so what I try to do, is I try to make, leave my cell phone at the side of my bed. I go to a, I have a chair, a specific place that I sit. I have a Bible there. I have books that I'm reading and whatever. And I just have some time where there's no distractions. There's no notifications. There's nothing like that. And then I go through one of these. If you could throw this up real quick. It's a spiritual practices slide. I think I'm jumping ahead. Nope. Right on time. Y'all pull out your phones real quick, scan this QR code, because I want to walk you through it. If you're looking for different things that you can do every day, scan this QR code. What I've gotten here is I've got pathways for prayer, pathways for confession. Um, I've got in there midday prayers. I actually also put in a 2024 20, recommended reading list. Okay. And so go into that real quick. There's vision here. There's scripture along with it. Hey, there we go. Um, there's daily declarations. This is what we do in the men's group every time. But you know, a lot of times, it's how I start my day. I go through the daily declarations. Um, there's a weekly practice. There's family practices, how you can host dinner, things like that. Uh, and then the recommended reading. Uh, this is something that I put together for uh, some friends, and we're going to start sharing on it. But, y'all, there's stuff in here on spiritual formation, which is prayer, all those different things. Uh, missiology, the mission of God. It's a textbook, but it's really good. You should read it. Uh, books on secularism, leadership, pastoring, commentaries, um, theology. And then I even put some nonfiction there at the end. So, um, what Harry Potter Yeah. Uh, the Gospels in the book. I don't want to ruin it for you, but... It's so funny how we high-centered on that one, isn't it? All the magic and all the different things we watched, but well, not that one. Okay. Um, all right, I, I want to close this out. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. A lot of times, like, there's, there's been a lot of books, like, there's a book called Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Phenomenal book. It gives directives on the practice of Sabbath, which, again, is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. It brings delight, enjoyment, and rest. But here's what I've watched happen in a lot of young people. They've totally missed the point of the practices. The the point of these practices, the point of solitude, is not so that you can bury yourself away from other people or other people can't get access to you. The point of solitude is that you get alone with God so that God can reveal to you what's actually happening in your heart, so that you can be more effective in the world we're in. Okay, now throw up that Henry Nouwen quote. This is what the practices will do for you. Solitude is the furnace of transformation. Without solitude, we'll remain victims of our society and continue to be entangled in the illusions of the false self. Something that I was talking to Callie about this, this past week, Something that I've noticed is a lot of times when somebody comes to faith, they just catch fire. Have y'all seen this? There's nothing more fun than getting, getting around somebody who's like recently got a revelation of God's grace. They will challenge you, they will convict you because they actually believe this stuff, right? But here's what can happen. At some point, that fire starts to go dim, and here's my conviction as to why. When something's dry, it catches fire quickly, right? Right? The brush, it burns up. But if you don't feed the fire, the fire goes out. What our daily disciplines and our spiritual practices do is it helps us get tender from the deep recesses of the wickedness of our heart, and it allows us to bring it to the Holy Spirit and say, set it ablaze. I'm telling you, you will never stay strong and motivated in your faith if you're not seeing the realities of the victories that Christ brings us. And here's what I found. I'm 35, I'm 16 years into this thing, and I found that there's more and more hiding in the deep corners of my heart than I ever thought, but here's the good news. As those things burn up, as I do the hard work of admitting those things, God floods my life with joy. God floods my life with fulfillment. You know, here's the reality. What do we need to survive as human beings? Oxygen, water, and food, right? We would all admit it would be a cosmic absurdity (laughs) to say that you're going to grow into a healthy body if you don't have air, water, and food, right? Right? But how many of us are surprised that we're not growing in our faith when we're not doing the basic things of prayer, of worship, of confession, of Bible study, of reflection, and then we're surprised that we don't grow? Disconnection from Jesus, point three, is spiritual death. That is the message and the narrative of the scripture, is if we are not connected to Christ, what overflows from our hearts is wickedness and death. But God designs us, God knows us, and he leads us out of that wickedness and death into freedom and into hope. Lastly, when we're connected to Jesus, we bear fruit, and we showcase God's glory. The last bit of this section: If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my say it with me disciples. What an incredible life that God has promised to us. So, I was reading about this last night. Um, in the beginning of the discipleship of young Jewish children. What they do is they take them on the first day of school and the young child's shown a slate which had written on it the letters of the alphabet because they're going to teach them to read. The, The Jewish people in the first century had the highest literacy rates in the known world that wasn't exceeded until the Middle Ages, okay? They would take the letters of the alphabet with two scriptures in one sentence. The Torah, this is God's word, will be my calling. The teacher then read these words to the children, and the children repeated it back. And then he took their slate, and he coated it with honey. And the children got to lick it off. What was God teaching them? It's like what Ezekiel declared when he ate the scroll of God. I ate it, and it tasted as sweet as honey in my mouth. He's reminding them what Psalm 119 declares. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. I've got a couple of our leaders. They're going to pass around some honey bears here. We're going to do a little illustration. Now, listen, you don't have to do this, but I want want to invite you to do this with me. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a little bit of honey. And put it on the tip of your finger. Here, take this one. Now, what rabbis would do in that old ancient world is they would give very visceral illustrations to help understand the truths of who God is. So here's what I want you to do. Take it if you're willing. Take a little bit of honey, and you're gonna put it on the end of your finger. And they would say things like, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Taste and see that the Lord is good. What I want to encourage you with today is that Jesus has called you, regardless as to the fact that you are not qualified, but he says that you're qualified. And as you walk with him, and as he prunes you, and as you go through the pain of discipleship and all these things, I want you to remember that sweeter than honey is the word of God that as you go through the pain, on the other side of the pain is joy. A life with Jesus brings joy. Honey was exotic. It was expensive. It was the most incredible things you could have in the ancient world. And the rabbi told them, sweeter than honey, children, are the words of God. I want you to take a moment and eat it. As you go through this semester, as you spend time with God this year, when you're waking up early and you're getting in the scripture and you're trying to pray and nothing's coming to mind, when you're in the furnace of your own solitude and thoughts, sweeter than honey are the words of God, sweeter than honey are the ways of God. As you walk with him, he'll bring richness and life and sweetness to you. So here's a question. What can you add? What can you let go of? Listen, you will never have time. You will never have more time unless you cut out the things that are competing for your time, amen? So I wanna encourage you, this year, make a commitment. Get control of your device usage. Replace some social media time with some prayer time. I'm telling you, if you will take six months and you will wake up early, or you'll find a time in the day where you'll pray, where you'll worship, where you'll stand before God. I promise you, regardless as to how many stagnant years you've had, you will grow in your relationship with Jesus. So how do we grow in our faith? We stay connected to Jesus each and every day, through prayer, through disciplines, through what we're doing right now. I just wanna exhort you and encourage you, sweeter than honey, is the word of the Lord. Sweeter than honey is a life with Jesus. As you go through the pain, God will bring life and peace and hope, amen. Worship team's gonna come up. We're gonna go into a time of worship. And I just wanna encourage you to stay seated for a bit. And if you have a notebook with you, pull that out. If you don't, you can grab your phones, encourage you bring it. bring a notebook with you to church. It'll help you because you won't get any texts or notifications or your keto app won't be asking you to log your meals or whatever it is. I just want you to take a moment, all heads bowed, all eyes closed, and just take some time and see if there's somewhere where you could make a commitment to God right now that you're going to set aside a part of your day. When I worked at Starbucks, it was my break time. I got two tins, and I took my two tins, and that was enough time to do my Bible reading. I'm telling you the first, like, Three weeks of it, I was like, I'm getting nothing out of this. Why do I do this? Then after a month, two months, three months, oh my gosh, the word got richer and richer and sweeter and sweeter. Just take a moment. Where can you clear some clutter in your life? And to take some time and to add a practice. I want you to take, take a moment, ask the Holy Spirit. As we went through the different practices, could be weekly confession. I have a call with a friend every week. And what do we do? We confess sin to each other. Confess to God and you're forgiven. Confess one to another and there's healing. What can you add? Maybe for you, it's going to be just consistent weekly worship. Take a moment, name one of those things. I wanna encourage you, there's a card in front of you that says things I'm praying for, things I'm thankful for. You can write one of those down. You can put it in your home and make a commitment. God, I thank you for these people. God, we're the sheep of your pasture. God, you've called us to walk after you and to become like you because you believe we can do it. God, we thank you for your faith in us. We have faith in you. Continue to grow us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review, things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, If you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at at NLCDowntownLittleRock to follow along with the life of our church.